0: This week on Hacker and the Fed, Hector and I sit down and talk with Bill Gardner. Bill Gardner is a professor at Marshall University and the chair of cyber forensics and security. Bill offers his insight on getting jobs in cybersecurity, the future of cybersecurity, and the academic path going into cybersecurity.
1: Hector Monsegur was responsible
2: for some of the most notorious hacks Former FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell. Hackett and FBI informants participate in some of the world's most infamous hacks. hacks. It caused up to
1: $50 million in damages. A life in the shadows. Cyber attacks on the rise.
0: Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. I'm Chris Tarbell, former FBI special agent working my entire career in cybersecurity and now a founding partner at Naxo. I'm joined as always by my friend and podcast co-host, Hector Monsegur. Hector's a former black hat hacker who once faced 125 years in prison for his many years of hacking under the codename Sabu. Our stories collided in June of 2011 when I arrested him and convinced him to work with the FBI. Hector is now a Red Teamer, Researcher, and Cybersecurity Expert. Hector, how are you doing this week?
2: Oh, I'm doing very well, my friend. How about yourself?
0: Uh, I'm doing good. I'm very excited about this week. Uh, you uh, introduced me to a friend of yours, and so we decided to bring him on to Hacker in the Fed. We have a, the Chair of Cyber Forensics and Security at Marshall University, Professor Bill Gardner, joining us. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm doing good. Good, good. Bill, we're very excited to have you on here. Um, one of the biggest questions that Hector and I get all the time is, how do I get into cybersecurity? Um, so we thought you were the perfect guy to start that conversation um, and go down more with the 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 you know the approach of academics and what's being offered. And so we want to talk to you. Um, Bill's written a couple of books. He wrote uh, Building an Information Security Awareness Program and also Google Hacking for Penetration Testers. So... Uh, Bill, if you could share a little bit about your history, that'd be great.
1: So I'm a self-taught hacker, and I say hacker because I come—you know—Hector and I come from the same subculture, uh, and we're kind of like motorcycle gangs. Some motorcycle gangs are bad. Some raise money for crippled children. Um, so we all sort of go our own path. So I, I actually learned what I now teach to my students in the hacker underground in the 1990s, uh, hanging out of our RC channels, uh, web forums, that sort of thing. But the, you know, times have changed now. Uh, that's a much less likely way of getting into uh, cybersecurity, information security, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't have degrees in this field. I have a degree in political science and a master's degree in journalism. Um and I just sort of fell into, into doing cybersecurity stuff, quite frankly. I, I got a job out of college um, after being a mid level mid-level, um, state employee for a while with a law firm because they had Macs. And at that time, you're talking about Mac OS 7, Mac OS 8. And I was the only person who had experience on it. I'd used it in graduate school in my journalism classes. So I convinced them to hire me as the IT manager. Um, so I ran their cyber infrastructure for a number of years. Um, and then after that job, uh, th- that firm closed, I ended up working in mainframe computers for a while on a government contract. And then I worked for a law firm, a mid-sized law firm, multiple locations doing cyber infrastructure for them. And then all of a sudden it became a security issue. Law firms were being attacked. So I had this sort of, uh, tucked away in my backpack of where I had experience with cybersecurity. So at, by the time I pulled it back out, the things I knew and, and the people I knew that I could reach out to about some of the things that were going on you know, in the world at that time. Law firms were being targeted because of the amount of intellectual property they have. They also get targeted because most lawyers look pretty rich. And I always joke if they saw the student loan debt of most first-year lawyers, they wouldn't think they're rich. But uh, so, you know, they're being targeted. So I sort of pulled that, that back out, and kind of mixed it with what I was doing with maintaining inf- cyber infrastructure. Um, I went back and got my Security Plus and OSCP. Sorry, I have the OSCE, not the P. Do I have the P or an E? Anyway, I've got one of those OSPs. <laughs> I'm an OSCP. Um, which is an offensive security certified professional, which is it's it's uh, certification on penetration testing by the people who make. Or
2: it used to be called Backtrack back in the day, but now it's called Kali Linux. And they also run Exploit DB these days, but I'm not sure they updated as often.
1: They do, and they also have the hack Google hacking database too. Ended up moving over there mm. um, with the exploit database.
0: So, Bill, how did you come to get to know Hector?
1: I sort of watched everything that happened with much interest in 2000. Was it 2012, right before I came to Marshall University? Uh, so I, I was a fanboy, and then I ran into a friend of mine who was working in New York City as a as a journalist, and he had had encountered Hector and some other people I wanted to talk to, and he said just contact him. So I did. I just reached out to Hector. I think it was maybe Twitter, probably Twitter.
2: Oh yeah. Well, you know the the fun the fun um, fact I kind of want to point out. Chris is that, so back in the nineties, you know, it's more, it's, it's very probable that Bill and I crossed paths in some, some way on IRC. Probably multiple ways. Oh yeah. We were probably in the same channels. I mean, the same even goes for like Kayla, right? Ryan. That, That was another one that he was part of our same, same ecosystem. And we probably were in the same channels with him, but we never really talked directly. So once Bill and I connected, um, we clicked almost instantly because it's like I knew him already. You know, it, it's hard to really explain for the audience because maybe some of them were not there at the time. I know many are, but FNet and IRC in the '90s and early 2000s was a uh, um, was an interesting time, and a lot of good long term friendships were made. You know, during that during, during that period, I myself have friends from back then, so. Um, still to this day, which is fascinating. But Bill, it was always a pleasure, and I'm really glad you reached out. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, man, because we were able to connect. And, uh, and I, I always appreciate meeting good folks and, and, you know, and, um, and, and keeping those good people in my life. So I, I do appreciate that.
1: Hector has talked to my students on a number of occasions, and he's very passionate about cybersecurity education, making sure people go the right way
0: uh, and not use their superpowers for evil. That's good. I'm glad he's staying out of trouble. So uh, I try yeah. to keep him out of trouble myself. So that's a good segue right into, why don't you tell us a little bit about your program at Marshall and kind of what's going on and, and what the, the academic world of cybersecurity looks like these days.
1: We have an undergraduate and graduate program in cybersecurity and, and what's actually called cyber forensics and security. Uh, Marshall has a couple of cyber programs. And the way I, display, I explain it is we're practitioners, people across the hallway are engineers. So we don't have to take tons of math, tons of physics. We're not engineers. Uh, My analogy is they build the airplane and I fly it because we're just using tools basically in the practitioner part. We have standard tools. Uh, We have tools on the forensic side that meets the the Dahlbert test, which means that they've been – Tested forensically sound, and and judges and lawyers and prosecutors accept them as being standard tools in the field. Um, And on, you know, it's a little bit different on the cybersecurity side. Some people write their own their own uh, exploits, which is really the way to do it once you know what you're doing. But most people start by using something like an exploit framework, like Metasploit or Nmap, and we teach all of those different tools in our undergraduate and graduate programs. So we use Kali Linux. Um, we have a license for CellBright. For cell I think we're the only academic licensee in the, in the country. At least we were at one time, which is the same, you know, same tool by, used by the FBI to examine cell phones and mobile devices. Um, you can get certifications in CellBright and also a certification in magnet forensics. Just by attending our classes, it's a part of our curriculum. We do so many stuff, it's hard to keep track of it, to be honest with you. So we have a pretty solid undergraduate program. We have a new graduate program that we just started a couple years ago. Uh, it's holding steady. Uh, what we want to do here at Marshall is take all this stuff online so that we can attract people who are mid-career. Um, you might want to know something more want to get a certification like an academic certification or even a c a plus or a security plus to come back to marshall and actually study those things um and that's basically it i i, I make the speech all the time especially to parents and i i forget who i've told what so i always worry about repeating myself <laughs>
0: So what are your incoming students looking like? Are you are we getting kids right out of high school? Are we getting professionals mm-hmm. that are coming back and getting degrees? Are we getting a mix of all of that? Well, right now, because our programs
1: aren't really online here. That's the transition we're trying to make because higher education is changing. We're also working to control the cost of higher education. Uh, our new president, Brad Smith, came He's CEO of Intuit. He's a West Virginian. He grew up... Uh, basically right down the street in a little place called Canova, West Virginia. And he still says, even though he's been a CEO and as a a national leader in business uh, and now education, he's our new president. um, He just says, I'm Brad from Wayne County and he's very down to earth. Um, But one of the things he wants to do is attract everyone. We can't really focus just on uh, high school seniors because they're starting to dry up. Population-wise, of course, we saw the baby boom, and since then, our birth rates are 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 less and less every year. So we know that there's a market out there for people. You know, somebody like Hector, you know, Hector could come back and get a degree uh, in something he's been doing his entire life, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, the idea, I guess, and also if you, people who want to change careers, people who want to upskill. Right now, most of our students in the undergraduate program are straight out of high school. And we actually have dual credit here where we can enroll high school students in our CFS 200 class, which is the introduction to cyber forensics and security. Where they learn about how computers work, uh, about bits, bytes, what what hardware looks like, identify the different parts of a motherboard, for example. And we talk, you know, just talk about the basics things. So and some of those people go on to major in our program and some go into criminal justice or you know, whatever they're interested in. Um, it can be a sort of a starter to get them interested in cybersecurity.
2: Wow, that's fascinating. I, I would say, Bill, once you guys go online, please let me know. Because I would be I would be someone that's mid-career that would like to achieve, you know, that. Uh, you know, some sort of uh, uh, academic, you know, uh, you know, approach there, because uh, as you know, I'm self-taught myself, just like you. Um, and I, all I have really is a GED. So it would be nice to, to kind of move forward and, and, and do something else, right?
1: We should uh, talk. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we have an existing program that might be good for you. It's an, there is an academic program in information assurance, which is, I think, four classes and all those classes are online. Very nice.
2: All right, let's definitely talk about that.
1: We'll Work it out.
0: Can he get any credit for breaking into a foreign country?
1: <laughs> See, I'm I'm kind of amazed about some of the things that's happened in the past, and I know Hector's tired of answering my questions, but it's like, man, that's pretty amazing. And then you're like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to like pat him on the back for doing that, but still, it was pretty damn amazing.
2: Well, it was an interesting time because, uh, and this is gonna, this is my segue into something that. uh that you brought up recently that i really want to talk about but i felt that at the time i w- i felt like i was doing the right thing right I-, I may have felt like i was on the right side of history this is back when and it's for the audience here to give some background when i was a black cat um and a hacktivist i thought that by breaking into the government of russia that i was doing something right um it wasn't until much later on, especially after I met uh, uh, folks like yourself and, and even Chris. Chris helped me really understand that I had these talents, but I was really, you know, on the completely wrong path. I know that you wrote something. And I would love to, for you to kind of give an introduction on that on this exact topic, on folks that got into hacktivism because they thought they were doing the right thing.
1: Not long after I met you, I got interested in the idea of doing academic research on members of anonymous uh and we we did a de-identified everything we just looked at people basically at people's public statements about um you know what was going on at the time we looked at the, there was a paypal 14 specifically i think we even looked at some interviews with you after you were released and it's entitled, the, the study's entitled, I did what I believe is right, and study of neutralization theory among anonymous operation members. So we had to like figure out what was an anonymous operation, what was not anonymous, this is all has to do with basically academic stuff. So But we went to something we could publish that would be peer-reviewed, that would be out there, that would be cool. So we used something called neutralization theory, which is a way that people explain away their behavior. And we looked at um, basically commentary found online made by participants in anonymous operations against the United States targets from 2008 to 2013. We looked at over 13,000 words. And of the thir- 384 passages and, and texts and phrases, we found neutralization f- phrases in 38%. And basically when we boiled that down, people said I did what I was thought was right at the time. They thought that they were seeking justice through their actions, including ddosing PayPal um, website defacements, uh, the other things that happened uh, during the summer of the laws. Um, so people were doing it for political reasons, which we call hacktivism. So that was, that was interesting to look at. We think we may have found a new neutralization, um, but that's, going to take some other people with bigger brains than me to get together and look at our research and possibly build off the research to see if we did find a new neutralization. Because I did what I thought was right is not currently a neutralization in criminology.
2: For those of us that don't understand uh, the concept, at least I don't, can you explain what a neutralization would mean here in this context?
1: Well, basically, you know, neutralizations are things like, uh, why did you steal that piece of bread? well, my, my mother was hungry and I needed it. Mm. So that'd be one way of explaining away, or I was following what everyone else was doing, or uh, I just don't believe laws are right. And there, there's a bunch of them out there that I have to look at them. I'm not a criminologist. I was just basically the hacking expert on this. Um, but you can look neutralizations up uh, in Google and it'll tell you the difference. I believe there's 10 or, or more neutralization to make up neutralization theory. And I probably could. Hey, I, why don't I go look at that now?
2: Well, that, that kind of leads me to a question for you, Chris. Yep. You know, you know, I love asking you questions. I know that in the FBI, you guys do a lot of research. There's a lot of data. I know when you guys, um, when, the, when the Bureau was looking for identifying Serial killers. It's even like a Netflix show on this, right? Uh There was a lot of research. uh, It seemed almost academic research you guys did to try to create patterns and and profiling. So um, serial killers is one thing. But do you know or are aware of any programs that you guys kind of did to kind of identify hacktivists or or hacking or hackers or anything like that?
0: That's very interesting. Yeah. So it's uh, BAU, the Behavioral Analysis Unit. They're down in Quantico. We, we actually came in. We we had a, a guy kind of like you. We had arrested. Um, he wrote rushing software uh, for banking, uh, to go against banking. Um, and we brought the BAU unit in. Uh, we had this guy in New York City for over a year, um, living in different places and all that. And we brought BAU in, and they said they can't do anything. They spent like a month with him. Um, he's like, we can't really build a profile off any of this stuff. Like, like it, it, it didn't work against hackers. Hackers were such broad uh, spectrum of uh, of individuals. It could almost be anyone. Um, they didn't offer much help for us, but th- I think it was more of a project they wanted to get into. Um, they wanted to look to see if they could do something with this guy. And uh, it was no good. So,
2: yeah, well, it was possible that the subject wasn't that great or it, it was, you know, just one person, right? I, I know for a fact when, so when I got back into the industry, I started mingling with a lot of threat Intel companies um, and one of the companies that, uh, I was able to get access to the products, I'm searching through their data set and lo and behold, guess who shows up? Hector Monseager. That's exactly right. And I'm like, wow. And it was very weird for me to see like their profiling of who the Sabu character was. And then like a year later, this update to the article, like, oh, by the way, he's Hector Monseca out of New York, right? <laughs> this is why I was very interested in what you're talking about, Bill, because I know that other aspects of the industry, whether it's law enforcement, or threat intel companies, they, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You're well. The, here's the funny thing, and you might have to cut this out. I'm like, well, you should ask HB uh, Gary, because that was basically what they were trying to sell uh, to the federal government was the idea that you could profile hackers. And I've seen the HB Gary leak, and there were people in there. That I laughed at, that I knew for a fact was not a hacker, but because they had associations with people who were known black hats, uh, they were just thrown into one pile. And well, you talk about uh, the other
0: Aaron Barr's research, right, that he put right. together. Yeah, I mean, was it more than just from what I remember? Was it more than just a timing issue? I mean, I know a lot of the stuff he was doing was, was social media networks, but also like who was online, who was posting on social media at the same time of being in IRC channels.
1: The other thing about what was leaked and his research, it wasn't complete. Mm-hmm. He was working on a white paper. He was trying to you know basically sell this idea so he could get the money. The same way we, we write grants now. You know, we do stuff like that all the time. We write uh, white paper and send it up to Cyber Command, or we write a white paper and send it to uh, DHS. It was another another, uh, organization we do work for. Um, So I think he was just noodling. He was basically spitballing some stuff, and unfortunately it got sideways, and we know what happened.
0: Hector, do you know how that got leaked? Like how, how did people in the anonymous community find out what he was about to do?
2: Well, I'll preface this by saying that I'm not proud of that time, okay? I just want the audience to know that. But um, just like Bill said, you know, if if someone's doing research with, and the research requires some sort of funding, they will go out and, and, and reach out for grants, um, at least from the academic side, from Bill's side. Uh, if you are a for-profit organization, you may look for funding in other ways, but that requires some sort of buzz, right, um, you know? And so what ends up happening in this situation, uh, Mr. Barr had an interview with, I believe, um FT or the four what was it? Uh, I forgot the uh the organization. Finan-
1: Financial Times. Maybe?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I believe it was Financial Times. And so, I mean, the moment that article went live, uh, I immediately went into action looking for um, looking for a way of an attack path to that person's research.
1: I believe he said in the interview, just for them to uh, discuss this out, Bigger Hector, is you basically said he could identify every member of Anonymous.
2: That was a motivator for us to try to kind of get access to the research and identify whether or not this person was legitimate or the research was legitimate. Um, The goal was, at least from my perspective, aside from trying to see whether whether or not this person had identified me, um, but it was also to help the folks at Anonymous who – who are probably going to have their lives destroyed as a result of this research. If I would have got access to the systems and got access to the research and saw that it was, uh, you know, uh, benign, right? It, it, was, it was mostly metadata and BS, then, you know, I would have moved on in my life. But what I did end up finding was a PDF and some reporting that had real people's names and Facebook links. And uh, we kind of freaked out about that.
1: And, and it ended up, how I knew about it, was on Pastebin which is the hackers hackers bulletin board back in the day. If you had leaked data, you'd go there. So you, you know, other people could go look at. It. So even those of us on the right side of everything, were like, Oh shit. Sorry for my cussing. Is my name in this? We didn't know.
0: It's, it's funny. Pasteman was one of those sites that my squad, we would go every morning. It'd be one of the first places we go just to see what happened the night
2: before. <laughs> oh yeah. Pasteman was, uh, was an interesting place. Um, you know, you had administrators and moderators for that site that were compromised, giving us IP addresses to users. Uh, a lot of folks didn't know that. But anyway, that's besides that. that's a fun fact for the uh, for history lesson there. Uh, I didn't but- do it. <laughs> no, but, but all jokes aside, though, I mean, that was that was definitely uh, that was a difficult time for a lot of people because you start to have or you start to have like a reality check. Like, Holy crap. What if my name is really on that list? What are the consequences? And is the FBI going to knock down my door? So what are the ideas that eventually, um, you know, was discussed within like the LawSec channel? In fact, I think, you know, this was like in the early days of LawSec, uh, in fact, prior to LawSec, this is when we were still migrating from internet feds. What do we do with this data? And the idea was, well, there's so many names on this list, you might as well leak the entire thing and cause some strife within the FBI, because now- And and Chris, I apologize for any of that. But the thinking was, if we just leak everything, how much of this stuff is going to be admissible or useful to someone like Chris? Obviously, we were young and we were dumb, and we didn't really think about the consequences. But that's that's pretty much the gist of the story there.
1: And and again, we were just wondering if our name was there because he was using social network linking. God knows who you're friends with on a social network. I'm sure Hector (laughs) and I were probably friends at that time. On Twitter, I mean, y'all on Twitter, and then we were still kind of in the same IRC circles at that time. You, there was somebody claiming to be him and some channels I was in, but I don't know if it was actually him or not.
0: It's it's strange. You, you talk about worrying about being in, so, in certain social media circles or, you know, IRC channels and for certain things. There, there's rumors of that sort of thing coming back, your your social credit score um, coming out there. I mean, it's being used in other places um, against you. Um, and so I guess we're, we're returning to those older days, uh, which is a little worrisome. But Bill, back to our listeners that, you know, are trying to, to figure out, you know, academia versus, uh, you know, get, get certificates and get real work experience. What sort of things are you seeing about jobs uh, from students graduating? Uh, where are people going to work in the industry?
1: Well, one quick thing: talking about social media accounts and linking them, finding out things in open source intelligence. We teach open source intelligence class here. We have an open source intelligence lab, and we do work for West Virginia State Fusion Center, uh, which is this, these things that were created after 9/11, so the three layer agencies would talk to each other, et cetera, et cetera. So most of our graduates, that's where they're working now. So most of the time. You're being hired by uh, AI. They're running your resume and your cover letter through AI looking for specific keywords. Um, so what you need to do is try to figure out what they're looking for. Unfortunately, there are a lot of places that are looking for uh, a degree plus 15 years of experience for entry level cybersecurity jobs. Um and of course that's, that's silly, but I would also say that it's really rare to get hired in cybersecurity nowadays, unless you're Hector or you have a degree. And unfortunately the way Hector went about it, God bless your buddy, was not the way that most people should go about getting in, in cybersecurity. Um, and that just doesn't work anymore. You know, there's, Kevin Metnicks of the world, et cetera, that's just not a good look. You're just going to get in a lot of trouble, and we may never see you again. Um, So you can start at different paths. Certifications are inexpensive, whether that be an industry certification or certification uh, or a micro-credential you get through the university. I mean, there's more universities than Marshall University. Um, Security Plus. A lot of people get because it meets the DOD standards, uh, being uh, eligible to work in cybersecurity, security plus, A plus. There's another one. I think it's the certified ethical hacker. One of those certifications, you can go look at an entry level federal job uh, or a federal contracting job. And if you have one of those, that's going to get your foot in the door. Anything beyond that, you're going to have to have some experience and you're probably going to have to some have some sort of degree, even if it's an associate's degree. Um, we partner with three letter agencies. Uh, FBI actually is one of the biggest employers of our, of our students. Uh, and I just came off a, a rotation off the InfraGuard board of directors here in West Virginia. We have a very close uh, relationship with FBI and, um, uh, you know, they're looking for a very specific set of things, which, unfortunately, for people who don't have a degree, includes a degree. And uh, you know, Chris, you know more about this than I do. Most of the people I know in FBI, especially years ago, all had law degrees. And now you know, we've got the techno people are starting to show up because that is the expertise that's needed. Uh, but it's hard to get your foot in the door with any organization without a degree, unfortunately. And I I don't want to be like, oh, that college professors, like, yo, he's all about degrees, make some money. But, you know, that's not how I got here.
0: But I mean, you also mentioned that through your program, you offer certifications. And that seems to be a good approach for some people to see sort of like you said, it was more of an entry level. It's more of a a cheaper way to see if you really do like, you know, stick your toe in the water without jumping in the pool. Um, so d- would you suggest that people interested in cybersecurity, maybe start with, you know, a couple certifications to see if that's their forte and then get into academia or just jump right in? You
1: can do it either way. I mean, if you, you don't, you're not sure what you want to do for your life, you want to try it out. I would get like a security plus it's not a hard test. Um, heck really the CISSP is not a hard test, but I don't want to put up with maintaining it. And that's what he said. I've never taken it. It it costs a lot of money in the end. That's one thing about, we call it the cert chase. People sometimes get a bunch of certs, and they spend a lot of money maintaining those certs. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth the investment? In the case of certs, you have to have continuing education units, et cetera, et cetera. In the case of education, it's a one and done. You either get your academic certification, uh, or you get your degree and you're, you're you're done. You don't have to keep doing it. But you also need to be a lifelong learner to work in this field. And I'd have to say self-study for certifications is very inexpensive. You always pay for the test itself. And then there's online programs that are great. Hack in a Box. Some of those offer certifications. I have a couple of them. Um, basically, you take something online. You It's either very inexpensive or free and you end up with a piece of paper at the end and it's better than nothing at all
2: in today's internet age people's personal information is being shared online at the click of a button without their consent and it happens all the time But you can tackle this problem thanks to Delete Me. And I'm excited to be partnering with them. And I'm also a client. So that goes, I hope that goes a long way. When I used to Google myself, I used to find hundreds of detailed profiles that shared either my old cell phone numbers, addresses, emails, family members, or even financial records. All of which can be used to target me or um, people within my circle. All out there and easily accessible to anyone. And that information can lead to those annoying robocalls and scam emails. Not to mention identity theft and fraud. And in extreme cases, stalking, harassment, intimidation, or assault. And trust me, I've had plenty of death threats on my, uh, on my end. At first, I tried to remove it all myself, which you can do. But after at least 10 hours, I signed up for Delete Me, and it was so easy. Their software team of experts will not just find and remove your personal information from hundreds of data broker websites. But they'll continuously scan for new data that shows up and gets that removed as well. On average, Delete Me finds and removes over 2,000 pieces of data for a customer in their first two years, and to date, they've removed over 35 million pieces of data for their customers. That's amazing. So, if you want to get your personal information removed from search results on the web, check out joindeleteme.com FED and use the code FED20. Again, joindeleteme.com FED and use the code FED20. When do you have insights into your compliance, security, and risk postures? It's a great question. If it's right before an audit, you're on the same boat as many other organizations. With Drata, G2's highest rated cloud compliance software, you have continuous monitoring and visibility into your risk, security controls, and audit readiness for standards like SOC 2, ISO 2701, GDPR, HIPAA, and more. Drata can streamline compliance for over 14 frameworks and even automate the custom frameworks and controls you create to meet your organization's unique security needs. With more than 75 native integrations and a risk management solution, you'll have a tool that will scale with you. Countless security professionals from companies like Notion, Lemonade and Bamboo HR have shared how crucial it has been to have Drata as their trusted compliance partner. Now, Here's where it gets cool, guys. Listeners of Hacker and the Fed can get 10% off Drata and waived implementation fees at drata.com slash partner slash hacker dash Fed. Again, drata.com slash partner slash hacker dash Fed. That really brings me up to the question, um, the controversial question on infosec twitter search or not right that's the big thing there's always arguing There's always a debate about it i know from your perspective as someone that's in academia that is a researcher and practitioner and let's be realistic if you want to get a job in the industry even as the entry level you are going to need some sort of either certifications or a degree i mean i'm sure we could agree to that at this point yes i think at, at some point in time that wasn't really the case I've spent a lot of time talking to folks, especially those that email us and contact us um, or reach out to me privately um, over my public email. And their question is, well, all right, well, I'm in a cybersecurity program. Okay, Uh, I'm in school. I'm in college. I'm in a university. Okay, what's next? Well, what's next is you have to network. Your professor is probably your best source of networking, plus your team, plus the school that community is going to take you very far. I've always said it. I myself, you know, when I was 18, I had at that point, you know, three plus years of Linux admin skills and hacking skills. I couldn't get a job. That was impossible. So what did I do? I went down to the biggest nonprofit in New York City at the time called Henry Street Settlement, and I spoke to an awesome gentleman over there who runs the the, uh, organization now. And I said, look, I have all these skills. I can get a job. What can we do? And he created a program around that. And as a result, Henry Street, a nonprofit organization, was able to churn out dozens, if not, you know, a low hundreds of of IT and security folks into the industry in New York City. So I guess with that being said, if someone asked me the question, you know, I'm about to get my degree, I'm about to get my certification, what next? How would you deal with that question if they ask you that question, Bill?
1: Well, let me back up for a second. Not all cybersecurity degrees are created equal. Most of them aren't really that good because they're not meant for practitioners. If you want to be a practitioner, seek out a practitioner degree. There's a lot of programs that you really read about things, but you never actually put hands on keyboard to understand how exploit frameworks or running MMAP works. Um, and so as a result, I would look for a program that allows you to do that if you want an academic route. And and of course, part of this is I'm pimping my own program. Uh, but part of it too is look into the program. Is it a theoretical where you read books, write paper program, or is it something you can get an internship, an externship, um, you know, summer work? Uh, Do they have those? It's really about what you're getting at, Hector, and I'm I'm slowly getting there. I'm strudging my way to your point, which is networking is very important. Uh, And networking in your field is very important. Networking locally, networking nationwide. Uh, Twitter, unfortunately, is a cesspool sometimes. But, yeah, I still talk to people on Twitter. Um, I talk to people about cybersecurity on Facebook, LinkedIn. All those things are out there, so you should use them to your advantage, and really learn how to use them correctly. Um, in that, anything I say on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn is something I would, you know, say anywhere. I'm not talking bad about somebody, or I'm not posting BS. A lot of people on Twitter, unfortunately, especially in Infosec, just want to argue with each other for lack of a very better word um, about. Nothing. Yeah, and uh, I know some of those people, and I just don't engage them anymore. But I keep an eye on them. Am I getting to the point where I'm trying to make? I'm sorry, I'm kind of wandering around so no, no, much. You,
2: coffee. You've made the point, and you also brought up another good point. And you know, this is my personal observation that I, I look at Twitter or InfoSec Twitter, if we, if we want to categorize them, as, as those people as that great research, great back and forth discussions, but it does become toxic. It, at some points, even extremely. But my personal observation also is that a lot of those people are not even at Infosec. No, they're not. Yeah. So sometimes I sit here and I'm, and, and I see like gatekeeping, like, oh, you can't do this, right? Oh, yeah. And then you look at their profile and they're like an artist out of you know San Francisco or something. Like, okay, cool, interesting. Yeah. But my concern with that, that is why I bring it up. This is why I kind of you know move forward with it. Is that my concern is for the students out there? And I'm talking to the audience here. Infosec Twitter can be a very useful area for research and for learning but you know i would say work with the good and just like put aside the bad because there's a lot of stuff on there that really is not relevant to to your path okay no that's true in in fact you know for the audience here bill has done a great job with his students and i've even you know hired um at least one of his students for internships in the past and you know he brings up a very solid point about if you're going to go into academia or any sort of education um, you know, uh, organization looking for uh, cybersecurity or infosecurity training, you want to get access to something that, that's more hands-on rather than theoretical. Because I've interviewed a lot of folks who just come out of school and you know, they just wrote a lot of papers. Or maybe they studied the CISSP materials, which that's a whole other topic. And they may have the terminology incorrectly.
1: Yeah, that's true. And there's also, if you look at Security Plus and CEH, they have incorrect answers to questions you know are incorrect. But you have to study incorrect answers to do well on the test. And that's the reason that I don't think certifications have really good tests of anything other than you can study for a test. And, but some people will use that as gatekeeping. They'll look for it in your resume or in your cover letter whenever they're using these magic hiring softwares to try to throw people out. And unfortunately, that's what happens in HR.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what it is, is most times for entry level positions, you're being hired by HR, and you're not being hired by the a cybersecurity practitioner that knows what they're looking through. The first pass is go your resume goes through an HR person who needs to you need to get so many points, you get five points for this 10 points for that. And it kind of goes that way. But you guys are, you know, we we all have different different past we've gone here. Hector he taught himself uh, is in cybersecurity. Bill, you went different degrees, and now you're, you're the you know the chair of a cyber forensics and security at a university.
1: Well, I taught myself too. I mean, Hector and I come from come from the same background, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, you know, but I took the path that you guys are describing. That I, I got a master's degree, and I started my master's in. 2000, um, you know, uh, in computer science. And it was theory, it was all theory. Um, there was very hands-on. I don't think it, at any point did I hold a hard drive in my hand. And then I go to the FBI and I'm holding hard drives every single day. And I'm certainly not prepared. I could do binary math. Um, you know, and that, that was great. Um, but I wasn't prepared for the hands-on computer stuff. So, you know, you know great point that you both bring up, you know, search out programs for the Path That you want in cybersecurity, um, you know, and, and, you know, I was limited back in the day, my, my degree is in I have a master's in career science with a concentration in information security, but it was all theory. Um, and, and that necessarily probably wasn't the best path for me, but there weren't a lot of options back in 2000 either. So so great point, both of you brought up about, you know, getting the degree that you want. Um, and, you know, build the resume so you can get your foot in the door. Um, you know, that got me into the FBI. And once I got into the FBI, I collected certs um, because they were good for my, with my curriculum vitae. So if I'm an expert um, it looks good. And the FBI paid for them. Um, so if you can get into a job who's willing to pay for you to get certifications, do it. It's, you know, build up the resume the best you can right there.
1: Yep, uh, you're absolutely correct. I think that is well said. And also you might get to testify in court. Uh, which is the most – it doesn't bother me at all for some reason. Um, I was really – first time I testified, I'm like, wait a minute. I control everything because they're listening to me, so it wasn't hard. But if you don't have the correct qualifications, you're not going to be asked. And if you get cross-examined, they're going to tear you apart if you don't look like you know what you're doing or if you don't know what you're
2: doing. Oh, yeah. Well, you you, you did bring up a point earlier, Bill, that I just kind of want to touch on. I know that kind of early in the conversation you mentioned that um, a lot of companies that are hiring, or they may be hiring, are using AI for identifying um, interesting keywords, phrases, um, or even build some sort of metrics for HR. So now my question for you is, and this is the nerd question of the day, can you use ChatGPT or similar to build you a resume that would hit all the qualifying marks um, to actually pass through that initial phase? Maybe. Here's the thing
1: about ChatGPT. I'm actually doing research on it now. Uh, I have a presentation come up this summer. I submitted to another conference in Hawaii, which I'm hoping to get to. Uh, ChatGPT is a large language model. It doesn't really think. It can't look up things on the Internet. But you can give it information which you wish to be structured and feed it those keywords and it can write you something that may be a lot better than what you could write, but you're still using your knowledge and you're putting it in ChatGPT. GTP, sorry, I'm tongue tied too much caffeine. Uh, but it, it can write, it can basically rewrite things you've already written. That's really what it's great at. We've done experiments. Uh, I was on a local TV, uh, news piece where I asked it to write my biography you said I was the former interim president of Marshall University, that I had multiple degrees from places I've never even heard of. you know, it just went on and on. So we laughed about that, and we pushed the button to basically for it to do it again. And the second time I was a multi-sport star, uh, had coached at both the college and professional levels. so it it's not the magic cheating machine that people think it is. But you know it's worth it to put in your resume or, um, you know you, your cover letter to see if it can. You just tell it you have to. You know, part of using Chat GPT is understanding how to input information into it. It's almost like writing code because you have to tell it what to do. If you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And the if you don't put everything in there, it's going to start guessing, which. Mess, messes it all up so you could try it i haven't tried it i don't know
2: well on that thought i, I could imagine a very clever hacker individual would try to identify what software companies are using for skimming through a uh, resumes reverse reverse engineering it and then putting in the proper prompts into chat to create the perfect resume
1: that's the reason you're a hacker <laughs> <laughs>
2: You
0: know, I also like Bill's earlier suggestion. Talk to people in the industry. You know, I've had kids come up and talk to me. How do we become an FBI agent? And there's a, you know, there's a 10 part questionnaire uh, or a a board interview um, that you have to be a part. You can figure out all 10 questions before you even get in. You can know exactly what the 10 questions are going to be. And it's not hard to reverse engineer what what, what that is. So, you know, talking to people in the industry is a big point and building that network. And that's being prepared. It's not cheating, it's being prepared.
1: So you need to be prepared whatever, anytime you do. Actually, uh, whenever you go for an interview, you should do open source intelligence on that company. You should figure out who works there. You should figure out what they do to make money. You should figure out what businesses they're in. You should figure out the work chart. Uh, And you can use all of that when you interview or when you write your cover letter or when you write your resume uh, in order to give you a leg up. And that is perfectly acceptable. It's being prepared. It's not cheating.
0: And it'll come across. You'll come across as, uh, you know, you're a person that prepares for these things and, and you'll you'll do it. And also practice interviews, you know, t- you know apply for jobs that you don't want to get uh, and go for it. You know, t- you know, I recommend that. Uh, put yourself out there. You know, Hector, you always send out a message to our listeners that we're looking about learning about a methodology. You want to get into that real quick?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, methodology is always important. You know, whether it's in pen testing or or even what, what Bill just laid out for you. I mean, he basically just gave you the methodology for your next job interview. You know, information gathering and discovery is always phase one. And then after you get past reconnaissance and information gathering, now you're looking at strategy. You're strategizing with the data that you have at hand to kind of build out your next steps, your next moves. I mean, I, I like the idea that Bill gave there. And this could apply to, you know, almost any scenario in any industry. Um, I mean, a lot of these concepts, as you as you guys know, came from the military anyway, and so you know, you want to be able to apply that stuff to your own life. Um, I I like the idea of of you know, it's not cheating; it's just being prepared, and I'm I'm, I'm completely for it. And I would I would have loved to have met someone during the interview where they did you know that initial recon or information gathering to kind of understand what it is that we do, how we're doing it, maybe who our customers might be. And, and and understand the expectations. Cause that'll go a long, long way.
1: You know, um, Hector did hire one of my students, and she's now at the West Virginia State Fusion Center.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah. Okay. So she turned out oh, good. Yeah, no,
2: she was awesome. I mean, look, <laughs> what what you know what also helps, and this goes back to Bill's student. He just he, I'm glad he brought it up. Uh, Bill's students, she wanted to get into cybersecurity or information security and you know, I spoke at his class, and after the class, she made sure to reach out. She was consistent. She explained what it is that she was doing, what she wanted to do, what her career path was, and it was very easy for me to get together with the rest of my team and say, "Look, let's let's put it through a round of interviews and let's see where this goes." And she absolutely killed it, you know. And we could have went in another direction and hired someone that was that, that has been hacking for five years. It has been doing InfoSec for five years. But no, in this particular situation, it was that, uh, that hustle, the grind. Listen, I want to do this. I'm ready to do that. Let's make it happen. That went so much further than someone sending me a resume and saying, like, yeah, I'm super elite. Hire me, right? That went way <laughs> further. So, Bill,
0: where do you see cybersecurity go in the next five, 10 years? What, what do you, you think is going to change? What do you think you know going to either academic or in the industry itself? It's still going to keep moving
1: at the speed of light, quite frankly. Uh, every day there's something new. We have to be lifelong learners. I'm constantly having to do continuing education. Um, and, you know, besides the academic side, I have to keep up with the practical side. So if, in, in my spare time, I take SANS classes. Um, And we're getting into more things here as far as research, such as Internet of Things and uh, also uh, industrial control systems. Um, So, you know, it's a whole bunch of things out there. Uh, Cities are now being connected to the Internet, this whole smart city initiative, which there's a lot of money being poured into. But as we all know, you put it on the Internet, someone's going to pwn it. You know, so you really want your traffic lights. You want cars that are being run so that, you know, they go through the traffic and the smart grid or, you know, whatever. Uh, we're going to become more connected as as we move forward, you know. Uh, and especially with AI, AI is kind of a buzzword. It's almost as bad as cyber back in the day. Everyone has AI. That's interesting, but it's very, very, it's, it's at its infancy. But I can see someone taking a pen test report, telling GP, uh, ChatGPT the format you want to write it in, putting in the raw data in it, and it's spitting out a report. And quite frankly, as a penetration tester, that's wonderful. I've always joked in the past is the thing about uh, me and Black Hats is I, they don't have to write a penetration test report and present it. So
2: you get off easy. That brings me up to another point. And I'm glad you you kind of brought that up. The reporting process for uh, a practitioner, someone that's working in the industry, and let's put a focus on the offensive side. So pen testing, penetration testing. Okay. Um, This also could apply to auditors and, uh, and assessors. The biggest part of the job, aside from doing the actual work, is reporting and then, of course, the communications. I had another guy that worked with us that went to school for computer science and midway through the job, he said, you know what, heck, I think I'm going back to school. I said, okay, what are you going to do? And he changed his, his major to communications. He realized that midway through, as we're dealing with customers, communication was like extremely important to the point that no matter how amazing of a job you did as a pen tester, if that report does not specify or properly communicate what the issues are, the nuances and context, and how to remediate those problems, then that report, regardless of the great work you did, is academic at best, or is not really useful to the CISOs or board members. So I guess, you know, kind of piggybacking off what you just said right now, uh, communication is extremely important to this side of work. Now, it also applies to the defensive side also. And on the defensive side, there's a bit more nuance because now you have to deal with policies and frameworks and all sorts of different check marks and checkbox rather that you have to check in to make sure that it applies to your security program. And these are the kind of things we need to teach more. Is that something, is, are those are the kind of topics that you go through with your students, uh, Bill? Yeah. Well, I
1: teach a class called CFS 357 network penetration and attack, which is a pen test from the beginning through, uh, through the report writing. Now, of course for the open source intelligence, we sort of pick a place and do a an OSINT on it. And then everything else is in a lab. So we have a, lab. It's completely unconnected. Anything where we're firing exploits, and we're doing post-exploitation, um, you know, we're stealing data off these boxes we've set up the target. So we know what the students should be finding, and we also know how the students and what format should be writing reports. And if they don't write a p- clear report, Uh, That's a problem. So we go through drafts and revisions and iterations of reports and also uh, presentations as if they were going to give them to a C-suite. And so they have to explain the problems, how to fix them in layman's terms, and then also give me, uh, you know, the down and dirty stuff at the end as an appendix. Uh, And it's all written in a standard format. and on, on a defensive side, uh, we, we have a cyber range here where we do, uh, security operation stuff. So they get, uh, to play with spelunk, which costs a fortune. But since we subscribe to this range, it was actually given to us by the benefactor. It's a very big, yeah, you know, it's a very big expensive range and they can, you know, they can use all the tools that are being used in the field on this range. And then, uh, you know, we also do research papers at, at the graduate level, but they're all papers about practitioner stuff. It's not theoretical. It's, you know, how can we make this better? We've written some tools here that have been used in, mag, uh, in some different forensic tool sets. So we, we have our fingerprints all over the place, quite frankly, but it's, uh, it's very much a learning by doing experience.
0: Yeah, being able to te- to talk to the uh, C suite, you know, it's one thing to do a penetration test and then, then explain it to the uh, CISO. He kind of speaks the same language to you. But going in and being able to explain it to uh, a C suite and in- let them understand the risks that they're facing and that sort of thing. That's a huge lesson. You know, I, I appreciate the, what the Bureau taught me um, being able to explain to a judge and a jury. Um, you know, you don't get very far in the Bureau in, in as far as the computer world. If, if you can't explain, you know, these very technical things to people that influence your case as much as a judge and jury. So it's, it's a good point. So on the forensic side, which is something else we teach here, it's
1: just, not, I'm, I'm the hacker. I'm not the forensic caters. Um, they learn how to testify, how to talk to a judge, jury, uh, chain of evidence, you know, all that stuff that you do on the, the law enforcement side. So we're kind of the best of both, both worlds. So when you finish your degree here, you can choose either or.
0: That's perfect. Where can our listeners learn more about your program? Uh, you
1: can go to Marshall.edu and look for cyber forensics and security. I could drop a link to you guys. Let me see if I can find
0: Sure. Yep. We'll add a, we'll add a link in our description for anyone that wants to find that information. Uh, Bill, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I'm sure we're, we're going to get a ton more questions uh, about education. Uh, Hector, uh, do you have any further questions you want to ta- ask Bill?
2: Well, you know, the one thing I'll, I'll say, Bill, is that, again, man, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship. I learned a lot from our conversation today. I had no idea that you guys had like Cellbrite access and you guys had that certificate program. That's fascinating. And I think that I would love to see more and more of that in in a lot of these schools out there that are kind of promoting cyber now. But again, it's been a pleasure, Bill. And uh, hopefully we can get you another time and chop it up some more.
1: I'd be happy to come back. Would I have something interesting to talk about besides myself?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, this was great. Thanks. Again, it's, it was, it's Bill Gardner, chair of the Cyber Forensic and Security at Marshall University. He wrote two books, uh, Google Hacking for Penetration Testers and Building an Information Security Awareness Program. So go on uh, wherever you find your books and uh, purchase your books and, and buy those for Bill. I make about $0.10, per-, 10 cents per book. So All right. So buy two when you're on there, guys. Yeah, I'm. Get, I'm not getting rich anytime soon. Perfect. Thanks for coming on, Bill and Hector. Another great episode. Uh, thanks for chatting with us.
2: Of course, my friend.
0: Cheers, everyone. Thank
2: you. Cheers.